0: What's up, everybody? Jamie Eads here with you. Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, episode number eight. So excited today, we have the incredible and fantastic Scott Pellegrim joining us here in just a moment. Scott is just a ridiculous drummer. If you don't know who Scott is go check him out immediately. Watch some of his videos and this interview will absolutely make a whole lot more sense to you, I promise. A uh, little bit of information on the show. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. Our email address is podcast at gmail.com. And you can find more information on me at jamieeds.com. Okay, so last week we asked the question, is it okay to say that a drummer is a basher or a slammer? He or she bashes or slams uh, their drums. Are drummer jokes okay? I asked that question uh, to all of you, and I got some responses. I heard from my buddy Eric Weber up in Ohio, said, doesn't really bother him. Uh, drummer jokes are fair game. He actually texted me <laughs> a couple of really funny drummer jokes. They were great. I'm not gonna tell him here. Uh, heard from Dan in Illinois. Said it didn't bother him either. But I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Uh, I have a 13-year-old daughter who's a very accomplished ballet dancer. Uh, if a football player or basketball player said to her, you're not really an athlete, I can see where there would be a rub. So words are important and they do matter. Uh, Drummers are every bit as important as guitarists, bass players, saxophone players, pianists, whatever you want to say. So I would just say, let's be careful how we describe ourselves because a band is only as good as its drummer. Thanks so much for your responses. I really do appreciate it and keep those emails coming. So with that being said, let's pay some bills. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory which is made from sapwood. Red Hickory Drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest-hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys, our guest today is just a fantastic drummer up in Michigan, Scott Pellegrim. And I uh, met, I don't know, two or three years ago. Uh, He is a dream symbols artist. That's how we come to know one another. Uh, I asked Scott if he would be interested in doing an interview uh, for the podcast. He immediately said yes. Um, And we had just a wonderful conversation as you're about to hear. If you don't, know who Scott is, I'm telling you right now, you want to follow this guy on Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever social media you use because Scott, and we'll talk about this, Scott has a habit of putting up what he calls his first touch of the day. And it's really just him sitting down behind the kit and wood shedding first thing in the morning with his cup of coffee and his dog Pegasus. And it absolutely will inspire you in 20 seconds to go get behind your kit just a fantastic phenomenal drummer so with that let's welcome scott to the drum shuffle hey scott good evening how are you
1: not too bad how are you
0: man i'm doing great thanks for asking hey thanks for taking the time and coming on the drum shuffle we we welcome you to the show
1: Man, I love the name. It doesn't get any better than
0: that. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's kind of the first cool beat any of us learn is, is how to shuffle something, you know. So I, I just went with it.
1: It is, man. I dig it. There's nothing like a great shuffle gro- groove.
0: There is nothing like a great shuffle groove. Um, so, Scott, um, what I would like to do, if you're, if you're cool with it, Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and and how you got into drumming to begin with.
1: All right. Well, it's, it's pretty similar here. It's uh, the good old story of being born and raised in Nunica, Michigan, and. Uh, you know, when I was about a teenager or so, my family moved to Spring Lake, Michigan, the, the bigger village. And uh, I currently live in Grand Haven, Michigan. But <laughs> in between there, there there's a, a lot of stuff that happened. Um, I was born and raised, um, I guess, growing up on a farm. Uh, my dad raised and bred exotic birds. We had monkeys. We had tortoises pretty much any bird you could ever imagine we had. And then we also had Arabian horses and cattle, chickens, turkeys, stuff like that, and then a big garden. So I was kind of raised out in the country, learned how to grow stuff and become friends with animals, and I learned how to hunt and fish and camp and forage and stuff like that, uh, while at the same time, you know, of course, going to public schools and having a lot of different uh, tutors and mentors for music the way I got into music is that um, it's kind of the same thing I, I tell anybody is that when my mother was still pregnant with me, she guessed that I'd either be a soccer player or a drummer because I was so active, and especially <laughs> active when she was teaching because uh, she taught next to the music room. And it was just kind of a joke. And uh, <laughs> I was born and by the time I could kind of move on my own, I was hitting and smacking things and people would put stuff in front of me and i'd hit it and i'd be occupied all day (laughs) and and that's where i was you know i mean i don't even have a time it was definitely be right around the time that i was able to kind of sit up on my own and by the time i could crawl i would go and raid the cabinets in the kitchen and pull out all the cookie tins and the pots and pans and then my parents decided, decided to get me like a it's like a Muppets or a Sesame Street drum kit. I'd have to look at the pictures, and there I was like in my diapers, with some like Donald Duck ear muffs over my ears, <laughs> and I'd just sit and play and hit stuff all day.
0: So literally, you were born a drummer.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's not really many other things I've done in my life other than I played soccer for a long time and I loved it, but it wasn't my passion. And I knew I wasn't going to do it if I were to go into college or as a profession. And and drumming music was just like that thing that just set me off. I always thought about it. I dreamt about it. I obsessed over it. I watched, you know, my Dave Weckl Back to Basics VHS.
0: Oh, that's one of my favorites.
1: It barely, you know, I mean, it's insane. I even met him and he signed it and I still have it. It's in my drum studio. And that was like my Bible. That was my drumming Bible was Dave Weckel yeah. I think I was eight when my parents got me that VHS. And I, I watched it almost every day until I got out of high school.
0: That's a really good one. And I think, you know, a lot of us have that one in our uh, in our old, you know, kind of drum, as you said, the tape library, you know, the, the VHS copy. That was that was one of my favorites. And I devoured it you know throughout my middle school and high school years as well you know it's just a a fantastic video and um you know dave was was and is the man you know when it comes to that stuff just just a beast
1: he's like one of the scariest drummers on planet earth yeah (laughs) well for sure so good
0: yeah, absolutely. And uh well, you're no slouch yourself. Um <laughs> you know, I and and we'll get to some of this stuff, but uh I'm assuming then Dave is one of your big influences. Who who were some of the other um drummers that you followed and and really watched and tried to emulate as you were coming up?
1: I know. I mean, there's a few people right off the top of my head because it's kind of who I was exposed to first, like when my parents got me that VHS it was for Christmas and I had like uh I can it wasn't like like a pearl export but it was something really similar to that it was like an 80s kit and I remember it was a five-piece kit and it was black and my parents for Christmas got me like two rack toms like uh a 10 and a 12 cause I think it, or like an 8 and a 10 that's what it was and with that the Store suggested, yeah, you should get him this VHS. So I was just like brainwashed with Weckle, which I'm so thankful for, because I didn't know if the content was, you know, really difficult or if it was really easy. I just sat in front of a TV and practiced with Weckle every day. Um, But I was also raised listening to like Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich just because of the big band era. Um, So, like, once I heard Buddy, I literally went out and bought every CD or tape I could get my hands on with him. Sure. And I just would sit down and put on headphones and try to play along with every every arrangement. Um, so, Krupa, Buddy, Weckl, and then um, I started to get into Dennis Chambers, and that was that just blew my mind. Like what he <laughs> did with being able to flip the beat groove super hard doing linear stuff and like never even hit two and four and i pretty much never even knew where one was at the beginning of listening i was still fascinated and then he would come into a groove and lay down the pocket and it would be like this huge sense of relief i go (laughs) okay i think i know where one is and then he'd go back and flip things around Uh, but i just loved how he would just like create this tension in a groove and then just shred around the kit crit the the kit you know like with the single strokes and then you back to the groove so that blew me away and then i got kind of turned on people saying well man if you take dennis you you should go back a little bit and check out billy cobham and go back even a little bit more and check out tony tony williams so once i got into that like billy and tony were my guys like Everything about their creativity, their phrasing, how they combine their hand and feet, um, the way they play the bass drum with the cymbals, everything like that. And, like, the way that they could just create this beautiful melody using the toms. So, like, my biggest influence is really um, a people that I, I just jumped into as far as I could and I always, always come back to are Tony Williams and Billy Cobham, Dennis Chambers. Those those are like my three guys that I sound probably absolutely nothing alike, but I learned the most from.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, and I'm kind of curious as well, you know, were you during this time, were you forming bands and, and you know, jamming with other guys up there in Michigan or were you just, you know, locked away woodshedding on the kit?
1: It was all of the above. Like, I studied with uh, Dr. Joyce Smith, like classical percussion and mallets. I studied with Tim Johnson and the legend, uh, Tim Frontek, um, along with Rupert Kettle. Um, and at that time, so I was getting my classical training, my jazz studies. And then my brother Chris played some keyboards and a little bit of drum kit and stuff. So he was kicking my butt, learning. Van Halen and Journey tunes and Boston tunes and stuff like that. Sure. Uh Jump from Van Halen was like the first tune I learned when I was like five. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And, you know, so I was getting some playing in the basement. I also was going and taking the courses at the public schools, so, you know, so I was part of the concert band. And then, you know, grew into the middle school and, and high school jazz band. And my freshman year is when I got into drum line and I really started to learn my mm-hmm. rudiments. And that's when things really clicked for me, like once I started learning not only what rudiments were, but how they apply to the kit, that opened up so many doors. So like the rudiments, again, was kind of like my Ten Commandments, but it was like (laughs) the rudiments, you know. It was like, okay, you need to know this stuff. And at that time, when I was like 14, 15, I knew no matter what, um, I've been fantasizing about drumming and being a drummer for a living and, and traveling the world my whole life. That's like what pictures I drew in kindergarten, first grade was this thirty-seven piece drum kit with my friends around it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted for sure. And I met—I um, was told by uh, the senior uh, section leader and first chair drummer, Jonathan Rogers, who was a big uh, influence on me. Um, he said, "Man, you got to check out this guy named Dorico Watson. He's up in Muskegon right now, and he teaches. Um, you, you should. Here's his number. Give him a call. See if he can get lessons." And I thought, "Okay, um, I'm in the search for like the next the next great drummer to just totally kick my butt." And I called Dorico, and I started studying with him when I was about 14, and that was like when I look back in my life right now, you know, like growing up and playing and being exposed to music and not being shunned away from playing music was a beautiful thing and having the family behind me to um, be exposed to great lessons and concerts and stuff was huge but leading up to that like the moment I met Dorico my whole life changed like the way I thought about teaching the way I thought about playing performing interacting with humans Uh, knowing what I know about gear, knowing what I know about clinics and how to make a living and and how to be versatile. Like my whole school, like really started with Dorico because he was that dude who was an unbelievable drummer, had amazing foot technique. He was gigging, he was teaching, he was doing clinics. He was going to PASIC. He was going to Nam, He was recording with all kinds of people and touring and, You know, I I was kind of there, like, when his career, when he started getting into endorsements and stuff like that. And that, like, showed me if I'm here in in Spring Lake, Michigan, and he's here in in Muskegon. There's a shot that I could, like, figure out how to do this and really make it my my living.
0: Right. Well, you know, I mean, that's. Something that I think a lot of our listeners deal with. And, and, you know, I get asked the question all the time, you know, I live in central Kentucky, not exactly a music hotbed, right? <laughs> you know, right. A, and I get asked all the time, you know, why don't you move to Nashville or, or L.A. or New York or just any bigger city, really, you know, to get more exposure and more opportunities. It's not necessarily about your geography. It's about how much work you're willing to put in. You know, I think you would agree with that.
1: 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, I was raised the whole time of people saying, well, you know, no matter what, whether you decide to go to university or not, you're going to have to live in L.A., New York or Nashville. And that's it. You have to be in these three cities. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Well, this is pre-Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. This is pre-MySpace. This is (laughs) pre-like (laughs) Pre-internet. You know, this is like most people did not have cell phones. And if you did have a cell phone, it was like a battery-packed car phone. (laughs) You know, there's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, Um, man. At that point, you had to be in the city to meet people and to sit in and to get on those tours but you know also for me like is there's only a few artists that I think I would stop and drop and everything I'm doing to go on tour with other than that like I'm really happy being the DIY musician um and I really love doing it out of west michigan but you know I did live in Portland Oregon for a long time and toured all over the Pacific Northwest or so the Northwest and Then I moved to Nashville, and I was in and out of Nashville for quite some time, and I also ended up moving from Nashville to Atlanta and did the Atlanta thing, and, you know, this is like cliff notes of the timeline of my life, but I did go to those cities, and I flew to L.A. and New York, actually drove to New York more than I'd fly there to go study with people, to go see the nightlife, to go meet people, you know. Um, I did all that, but then when I started noticing all the social media stuff happening, you're able to stay in contact and update what you're doing all the time. It kind of made things a bit easier because people could kind of see who you are and what you're doing, you know, where you've been and where you're going. So, yeah, I mean, you could be in the middle of nowhere as long as you have a work ethic. um, and you're willing to put in a lot of time and not get a lot of reward for a while, uh, you can make it anywhere, I think at this time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you, you bring up a really good point and, you know, some of our other guests that we've had here on the show, you know, we, we talk about that stuff. And, you know, one of my guests was, you know, a a, um, SEO and social media expert, you know, an old friend of mine. And, you know, on one of the, the past episodes, we really talked about that and, and all the things um, that, that musicians can do today that we couldn't do just, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and you do a really good job. Um, and for the folks out there that aren't following you on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the different things they need to be, um, because you you are very good about just your practice routine. And, and, you know, um, I think, you know, you, you Um, what am I trying to say here? First touch of the day. You know, I see posts from you all the time that'll say, okay, here's my first touch of the day. And you're really fearless in your playing in that you'll try just about anything. Um, You know, you're one of the few drummers that has done a TED Talk, (laughs) for example. Um, Yeah. You know, which I think is just awesome. And and that's out online and and folks can go do a search for that and, and check that out. But, you know, I think, what broke the internet and really blew my mind was the rubber chicken.
1: <laughs> yeah, the infamous rubber chicken.
0: Yeah. T- tell everybody thing about the
1: gone bonkers.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's been seen millions of times. I mean, t- tell us about that.
1: It's uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll kind of lead into why the whole rubber chicken thing happened. But my whole Instagram page, I, I, I would love to title it something differently, but it's 90 to 95 percent. All raw, organic, improvised, unedited beats, grooves, licks, tricks, and ideas all recorded through the iPhone. Nothing else. Like my whole goal for that page is to not be polished, not be produced, nothing, absolutely nothing is rehearsed. I just want to say this is who I am, and I just want to show you where I'm at, and here's an idea. That's it. I'm going to show you my first touch of the day, whether it starts out good or not. Just to show you that nothing is perfect, nothing is polished, because you see so many people that are really polished. You don't know if they've been rehearsing this solo or lick or song for how long, right? And then you—they're recording with anywhere from four to twelve mics, and they're running things through preamps and all these plugins. Of course, things are going to look good, and that could be intimidating to people just starting out, or people that are in that next level trying to discover their their sound, you know. So for me, it's just a page and a place for ideas that hopefully people dig. And one of those ideas uh, mainly becomes, um, I just moved into a house, but um, about two years ago, I had been living in a house, renting a house downtown here in Grand Haven, and it, was, it still is, but at that time was just Pegasus, my dog, and myself in like a four or five bedroom house. So of course, every other room was filled up with drums and percussion equipment. <laughs> and that's where I was, I decided, Hey, I'll teach out of the house. I'll practice out of the house. I'll write out of the house. So I did most of the rehearsals. Um, I prefer to do rehearsals acoustically. Uh, so you can talk while rehearsing. So anyways, I'm in the house most of the time. And, Pegasus, whenever I play drums, he either jumps up and wants to be in my hoodie. He'll take a nap under the floor, Tom, or by the uh, bass drum. Or while I'm playing drums, he'll grab his toys kind of to egg me on to play. Um, And my mom and I would joke because she would come over and hear me playing, and Peg would be right there with his rubber chicken squeaking on it. So I'd be like, yeah, we're jamming, you know? (laughs) And then it clicked. Like, I was playing a hip-hop beat, and he, he balked the chicken a couple times. And it was perfectly in time, and I thought, okay, maybe I should try to get him to do that again. And, of course, it couldn't. It's just like whenever he's feeling it. So I thought, oh, wait a minute. I got an idea. And I picked up the chicken, threw it in the hi-hat, and I pushed it down once, and it went, bop. And I'm like, this is perfect. I rigged up my iPhone between like a roll of duct tape or something, because that's how I was recording. It didn't even use a little tripod. I would just, like, shimmy it in through something, and then I hit it, and I did that, played a beat for, like, 30 seconds, back when you could only use 15 seconds on Instagram, and I thought it was hilarious, so I put it online. I called it, like, Quack Beats, um, and I remember not seeing anything of it, and a couple hours later, I went and checked my Instagram, and there was already, like, 20,000 views. <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute, or no, I'm sorry, it was on Facebook, because I released it through Instagram on the Facebook. What is that, 20,000 views? That thought, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it went from 20,000 to 50,000 in like 30 minutes. And then it just like went 100,000, 150,000. And I sat back and thought, this is absolutely bonkers. And then I started getting people messaging me, hey, I just saw this over here, saw this over there, it's going bonkers in Australia, it's going bonkers over here. And then before I knew it, it was just like, boom, it was at a million views and it kind of like capped out there. It got like ended up at 1.3 or something, (laughs) but it just went crazy. And then it was like a month later, everyone was releasing rubber chicken, rubber duck, squeaky pig videos. just like, I I believe it set fire to (laughs) squeaky toy trend.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it's but it's you know, and and for those of uh, of our listeners who check out the guys over at Drumio, you know, one of the lessons that you did for the the guys at Drumio was out of the box drumming, and I, I you know, yeah, I, I think that's kind of. That's one of your calling cards for sure. Um, You know, I mean, I've seen you play with kitchen utensils. I've seen you, (laughs) you, I mean, you know, just a little bit of everything. Um, And it's really cool stuff. It's stuff that, you know, most traditionalists probably wouldn't think of. You you know what I mean? No,
1: but I feel like that's where a lot of us started. Like, a lot of people, how did you start? Banging on tables, hitting pots and pans, playing on cookie tins cardboard boxes, right? Right. And it's like we start that way because all we want to do is play. We want to hit stuff. We like sound. We like how it feels to hit stuff and create beats. And then all of a sudden, boom, we hit. I've got a snare drum practice pad. I have a drum kit. And now I'm just totally into gear and that's it. And people leave where we started. You know? I mean, just the human civilization. We've always hit stuff. We've always banged rocks and, you know, stretch animal skin over logs and stuff. And then... to me I think it's the most exciting thing right now because it's not explored Right. people are not spending a lot of their time playing I'm looking at the blinds right now Uh, they're covering my window I'm like those sound great when you run your fingers over them you know when you hit a rug with with a stick when you're dusting it off it sounds good I was on the lake on Lake Michigan jumping on pieces of ice breaking it into the water and making samples out of it today Because all that stuff sounds so cool, and it's all around you. Yeah, at all times.
0: Well, your approach to things, you know, and I'm thinking of you know the the eight or nine year old kid that sees this stuff, and they go, "Well, I can't afford a fifteen hundred dollar drum set and cymbals." But you know what? Mom and dad have this stuff laying around the house. So maybe I can write a five gallon bucket. Exactly. You know, I mean, I can pull out my, you know, kitchen whisk, you know, my my egg whisk or whatever. And I can do what Scott did on his video, which is just so cool to me that it's it is out of the box. But we need more people thinking out of the box, which is just, you know, um it's really cool stuff now you mentioned pegasus um and i've got to give a shout out to my guy pegasus the adventure dog um (laughs) for those that don't know pegasus pegasus is a chihuahua correct
1: yep he's a black and white chihuahua people call him cow dog sometimes (laughs) because he's perfectly black and white
0: well, this guy, um, Scott is not exaggerating when he says, you know, I've got Pegasus in my hoodie. Pegasus will literally like get in the, the front pocket of your hoodie and just chill there while you're playing the drums. And I mean, oh, and I'm sleep not the whole time. I'm not talking about tapping the drums. I mean, I'm talking Scott Pellegrim is thundering away, <laughs> you know, doing these sick grooves and. And this little dog, man, he's just asleep, hanging out, chilling, you know. So um, Pegasus has his own Facebook page, too, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, Pegasus the Adventure Dog. Okay, well, we're, we're going
0: to get Pegasus some followers here today. So,
1: Yeah, he needs some. We, we've been a little slack on posting pictures lately because it's been so cold and we don't get outside that much during the winter. But, he, you know, we do a good job of updating all of his hikes and Exploring rivers, lakes, and streams, and mushroom hunting, and fishing, and all that good stuff, as well as you know, hanging out with some of the rock stars when people are in town and stuff. People will come and visit and, and kick it with Peg.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, you know, if there if there was ever going to be a dog that became a drummer, it would definitely be Scott's dog. There's no doubt about it. Pe- Pegasus is the guy. So uh, keep watching the Instagram and the Facebook because. If Scott can figure out a way to get him to hold a stick, it's going to happen, folks. I'm telling you right now. It'll be
1: fire. We're talking like <laughs> one billion views. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right.
0: Um, Scott, I, to shift gears just a little bit, um, tell everybody about, you know, some of your your projects that you play with. Um, you know, I'm specifically thinking of the Scott Pellegrim Trio, SP3 for short, um, but you are the, the house guy at Third Coast Recording Company up there in Michigan. Um, so if you would, and, and I know SP3 did your last release there at Third Coast, um, Third Coast is run by somebody everybody's going to know. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your association with that studio and then tell us a little bit about some of your projects that, that you're working with.
1: All right. It's uh, Third Coast Recording Company is a newer recording studio. The building was bought about three, three and a half years ago, um, and it was kind of. It used to be a laundromat. It was a church, and now it's a recording studio. So they're really. Bill Chrysler is the owner. Bill Chrysler is uh, a really good friend of mine and a, and a mentor and someone I really look up to. And him and his family, Benny and. Justin and, and Sarah, i got to give them a shout-out because they're just amazing people. They're just full of love and full of supporting the arts and creativity. And meeting them was a gem. I mean, they are one of the reasons why I live in Grand Haven and not anywhere else in the world. Um, I met Bill through a really good friend of mine, Joe Sturgill, who's an incredible singer-songwriter. Um And his band, Four Finger Five, was doing a number of records at Bill's old studio. And they said, hey, you know, we're having some trouble with getting good drum sounds. Would you be willing to come in and drum tech on this record? Maybe bring some of your cymbals. Um, Specifically saying, will you bring in your dream cymbals? Because um, they had heard me play with them live and they thought that they would mic up beautifully. So I said, yeah, I'll come in. I met Bill. Um, and I started teching on this record, and it was kind of my first shot to like, not only like drum tech and tune all the drums and set everything up, and while they're playing, they say, "What, what type of sound do we need in the chorus? And I'd say, hold on, I think I know. I think I know what symbol. So then I'd run back and give the drummer a different symbol. Long story short, I was able to kind of just sit back and say, all right, we got everything sounding good for each song, and I kind of sat in on all the sessions and they would say, hey, what do you think about the groove here? Because um, the drummer was a really, really good buddy of mine who's in, a monstrous drummer. But sometimes when you're in the studio playing music that you've either been playing for years because you wrote it or you're just writing it, you might be thinking about the drum part, not necessarily the, the song. song. Yeah. You know? And so when you're sitting in listening, you know, you might go, oh man, what you're doing right now is totally working. Or what if you just did. And take out that lick you know certain small things now it's now it's a song and what I kind of learned from that session was wow it's really nice to have a drummer that you know and respect not only recording but the other way around because you can hear all the things like what would Steve Jordan do you know what would have Bottom done what's things like that when you're listening to a song and it's much easier to go hey uh, you should don't don't crash the cymbals here just wash out the hi-hats, right? you know? So when that started happening, um, Bill kept saying, hey, well, why don't you come around? Why don't you come around and meet up and hang out? So I started doing that, and and we became buddies, and I started doing more and more sessions at the old studio, and I started drum teching, and then I started teaching out of there. Um, and I kind of moved most of my my Michigan life into his studio, and then he decided, Hey, I want to buy the building and I want to like do this full on and like really make a big, big recording studio that's open to the world. You know, I want people from all over the world to come here. And and just Cliff notes with Bill is that he's been, uh, just a world renowned sound engineer, front of the house sound engineer, um, in here. Monitoring and, and he's invented and prototyped all kinds of stuff, and he's worked with everybody. Like you think of—I don't want to be name dropping all these artists and stuff, but you just think of a mega pop artist.
0: Yeah, he's done it.
1: He's he's done it. He's worked with him. You think of some of the most popular, famous drummers you've ever imagined. He's done it. Yep. You know. Um, so he decided to start this recording studio and. You know, we moved from Redwall North, which is a building that he was he had been leasing, storing a ton of road gear and his studio gear. And now we're in Third Coast Recording Company, which is studio A and B, and then the back offices are kinda like becoming studio C, which is like my drum room and my buddy and guitarist Kevin Gazell, his guitar studio. So it's there's a really big facility, and we have a film production company right next next door to us in the same building. And it just kind of happened. Like I never thought ever in my life that I would be more of a studio musician, but life kind of has a funny way of working things out, because as I was practicing, performing, and doing all the drum clinic stuff, which was more like drum solo, um, improvised drum solos, And using this rhythmist approach with the outside of the box type of stuff, I always thought, man, how would this stuff transcribe, you know, in a jazz trio and a jazz quartet, these ideas work great. When you're in a theater and an auditorium where you can hear a pin drop yeah, and the acoustics are beautiful. But if I'm playing in a high powered, high powered like funk band or a metal band, a lot of the stuff I do will get lost in translation. Right. Not appropriate necessarily, but when you're recording, there's no freaking rules. You can do anything.
0: No, oh, Well, that's right. And and you've, that's
1: you've got $10,000 microphones above you. Yeah. The microphones will get whatever you want because you can use one microphone. You can use 20. You can use a room mic or a close mic, everything. You know, you can pop a bag of chips in a room with a lot of, you know, natural verb oh, under a beautiful ribbon mic. And when you play that back, it's like the most glorious sound. And then you can layer that in with your snare drum. And it creates just this awesome sound and people won't even know cause they hear like a live drummer playing, but then there's all this other percussive stuff kind of buried in the track. And then people don't know exactly what it is. And that's where, um, I realized that this like rhythmist approach really is beneficial in the studio. And a lot of the work that I do is not like writing beats, but when artists come through and we have time to really like produce a track, um, that's where I go we will record drum parts individually we layer all these different sounds and these little tricks so sometimes when you're listening to the bass drum there's like five sounds that you're not really hearing right. that you don't know are there and that's where this stuff just like the mad scientist in me kind of came out and with the team like with Bill Chrysler um, producer um, engineer musical director Joe Hedinga, Joe Sturgill and Kevin Gozell like being around like super talented freaky talented people like that that are whizzes with Pro Tools and Ableton and uh, the SSL console that we use. On top of that team and the musicians coming in, like, we're able to do some really creative stuff.
0: Yeah, well, and it's it's really awesome. <laughs> Good stuff, too. Um, and, and, you know, you incorporated some of that stuff, you know, uh, with your own band, you know, SP3. Um, tell us a little bit about about that project. And, and, you know, the, the last record that you guys did is just simply phenomenal. I mean, I don't, I don't know another word to say, but, um, it's really good stuff. Tell us a little bit about that project.
1: Well, it's kind of the same approach. Um, I started Scott Pilgrim Trio. SP3 was the branding that really caught on because it's easy to label, um, with, a singer and, keyboardists and acoustic guitarist Ryan Wilson, and my buddy, uh, Kevin Kozell. I did it because I had been most of my career, always a freelance musician and a sideman, you know, always working for other people, which is awesome. I'm grateful and, and blessed to be able to work. Right. But sure. I was feeling that point of like the only time I really get to release is when I'm giving lessons with intermediate to advanced people because they want the craziness. They want the super mad scientist technique (laughs) stuff. Um, And then when I'm doing like drum clinics and workshops because it's me being able to just do what I love to do, right? It's like you can paint if you're a painter for so many other people in so many different ways and you get commissioned to do stuff. But the favorite time is that you always come back to do your own thing. And I had just been working with someone who's now a very, very big pop artist. And we had been developing this person for a long time. And I got to the point, I'm like, man, I don't have time to just be weird. I don't have time to express um, all these ideas that I have. So that's when I said, it's time to like man up because I've always run projects, but never under my name. I said, well, I was man up and run my own trio, and right when I started it, it, it really started to take off, and we started just gigging and getting tours all over, and I started bringing the trio out to do some drum events, and I finally said, okay, I've never done a record, I really don't know how to start or finish a record, and I'm going to try to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And we basically just came up with some rules. Um, we started actually recording when it was Redwall North Studios and then it had to take some time until you know they got the building and we moved in and then when we finished the record the building was pretty much wide open like not a recording studio at all but I was like we need to get this done so the rule for me and for pretty much anyone involved was you get no more than 3 takes and minimal to no editing um, little to no plugins on the drums and so like although they were probably two tracks were straight up improvised um, and all of the songs other than maybe creeping had a lot of at least 30 to 40% of improvisation going throughout the songs, you know, for solo sections and ad-libbing. But the rule was I wanted to be as improvised as much as possible, little to no polishing, leaving all the mistakes in. I don't want anything highly produced. Like this is who I am and where I'm at now. I looked at it as kind of like punk jazz and just saying, I want it to be real. That's it. And that's what it ended up being. <laughs> it, it's, you
0: know? it's awesome. I mean, it really is. And, you know, I mean, I think when you listen to it, you can tell that, you know, you guys weren't, you know, flying verse sections from <laughs> from the beginning of the song to the end of the song in Pro Tools. I mean, you can tell it's, you know, it's guys in a studio jamming, which is what makes it so special, in my opinion. You know, it's it's just a great record.
1: That's what I wanted it to be. And that, when writing that record, Ryan Wilson was leaving to start another project, and I started pulling in some other musicians. So, like, it kind of became SP3 and Friends, Scott Pelgrim Trio featuring so-and-so. And it, it kind of opened up some doors because the trio had been hitting it pretty hard for a couple of years. And I thought, well, yeah. And then I just started to confuse people. So I'm like, okay, we're the Scott Pelgrim Trio plus so-and-so and so-and-so. so <laughs> So forget, you know. We'll bring out whoever we want, right. whatever we're feeling for the occasion. And uh, um, since then, I've learned so much. I mean, that record really, to me, is like five, six years old. Um, and maybe released it a couple of years ago, and I probably haven't listened to it since we released it. Um, but it just kind of, one of the, it was one of those things like, I needed to get it done. I needed to learn the process on my own. And um, now I've been in the process. I have... I've been writing, actually, for um, my own, like a solo, solo EP for just the whole rhythmist approach, Um, making the drums and percussion and the world around me kind of the feature of the music. And then uh, I already started recording with the trio with Bernhard Lackner, the bassist, uh, amazing bassist and from Austria, and uh, I have some more stuff to write, so if the studio wasn't so busy (laughs) I would get a lot of stuff done but um you know my guitarist and buddy Kevin Cozell who sings and plays bass and does all kinds of stuff he's one of the head engineers there too so he's very busy and I don't really run any recording program or audio or video really yet so that's a new world I have to get into so in the time I just do a lot of work on my iPhone and uh I'm going to be releasing a lot of stuff here, and I don't know if anyone will like it or if it'll (laughs) be well-received, but I'm just at the point now where I'd rather release stuff just for the heck of it and put it out into the world um, before my time passes. So that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Well, I mean, I I feel safe in making this bold assertion here. You've got many many years ahead of you, Scott. You're <laughs> um, you're a young you're a young guy, and uh, you know I, I hope that the output remains prolific because all of us, uh, you know, I, I joke with you on social media all the time when I share your videos and stuff. I'll say, and once again, Scott Pellegrom making us mere mortal drummers look silly. You know, I mean, I that's kind of my my go-to tagline when I'm watching your stuff. Um, but us mere mortal drummers need guys like you in the world to inspire us. And, and you've got a lot of years left to do that. Um, so I, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit and you and I met through our, um, mutual, um, friends at dream symbols. Uh, we're, we're both on the artist roster there. Um, you've been working with dream for a number of years now and you actually have your own signature line of products. Um, you know, the crop circles and the naughty saucers bear the Scott Pellegrim name, um, which again, kind of out of the box kind of things, you know, for a symbol company, tell us a little bit about those products and, and how you worked with the guys at dream to develop those.
1: It was kind of one of those things. I mean, I'll just give a shout out to, to Andy and Craig and Ed and, and Ray, and of course uh, everyone else. If I left out anyone's names, like you forgot Brian, you amazing. Forgot. Oh yeah, Brian. <laughs> Brian's the reason I'm there. Brian. He, he was our first I guest on him. the
0: Drum Shuffle. He was my very first guest. So we
1: <laughs> really, he's go, an amazing guy. Like
0: we we can't not mention Brian. He'll kill me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and at the same time, I'd probably kill us for mentioning him because he was like off the grid. He, for sure, for he's, sure. hes I've known him for a long time, and we've always crossed paths. And the last time we did was when he you know, got the gig with Dream. And he called me and said, man, I know you're with blah, 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 but I think I found a company that you really could get behind, and I think you'll totally dig. And it kinda of took me by surprise. So like, okay, well he's like, Well, I know you're going to Nova Scotia to do blah 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 drum festival. We're gonna be there. Just stop by and check it out. I checked out the cymbals, immediately I saw the bliss line. Yeah. And it was done. I mean that was that was it. It was like this is the sound, the feel, the touch I'm looking for and that's like nine years ago, nine or ten years ago almost, you know? Yeah. And so much has developed since then. But The whole thing with the Crop Circle and the Naughty Saucer, one, because of Dream and their recycling program, it made these ideas um, possible. And on the other end, the whole idea for the Crop Circle and the Naughty Saucer actually happened when I was 14. Oh, wow, really? (laughs) Yeah, it's something that came out. Okay, and this is just my dirty little secret that I'll share it with the world. I remember because of the Dave Weckle back to basics, he always had that piggyback China crash yeah, stack that yeah. was off to his right that he used for accents. And I always wanted that sound. I loved the piggyback idea. And I started using a China and a crash and trying to get a sound like that. Well, my parents bought me a really nice crash symbol by a certain company that I always wanted because Mr. Weckle used it. Yeah. And I had that symbol. And I was obsessed with it. So obsessed with it that I broke it. Oh. And I broke it because I also was really into Nirvana and, (laughs) you know, smashing pumpkins and and stuff like that. Um, And I broke this beautiful 16 inch symbol. But the way it broke is that the symbol cracked and fell off of the bell.
0: Okay. So it wasn't
1: like I just cracked the edge. I like. I remember, like, having tears, like, oh, my God, my parents are going to kill me. I ruined this beautiful symbol. And there's no way, because I had broken, like, old chinas and stuff. And, like, you, you know, I mean, you see it on videos today. People would just play that symbol until there's nothing left to it. But the bell, it fell off the bell.
0: So you basically created a naughty saucer by accident.
1: Yeah, and, and it was just 16 inches, and the hole was a bit smaller. And I remember taking it off and, like, looking at it for a while while I was playing going, man, I feel terrible about this. And then I looked over at this China symbol I had that I really didn't like the sound of it. And it was one of, like, the traditional China, so it kind of goes out and you have the weird elongated bell. And I took that crash symbol and threw it over, and it fell right on top, and it went. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I think I've done it. I found the coolest sound. So I nicknamed it the trash can. And nice. it was something I used up until I was like 25, like at least that symbol, which I still have. I had my whole family sign it. Well, anyways, I'd been using that. And um, I thought, man, this is such a cool idea that I could take this off and then throw it on my hi-hat and I could throw it on my crash symbol. And I just thought, well, like, how would I, how would I market this? How would this even happen? Well, then I was hanging out one day and had been playing Frisbee and I saw one of those Frisbees that's like hollowed out, you know, or it's just kind of like a ring. Yeah, sure. You know, just like a a new age Frisbee that really doesn't make any sense because it's not as cool as a regular Frisbee. But (laughs) when you take that, they're the same size as a snare drum and you can put it on your snare drum and it makes it as a mute. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool idea. And... I started thinking, like, what if I could shave out the hole bigger, blah, 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 and that's how the crop circle was born. So back in 96, 97 is when I realized that you could have a cymbal that moves all over the drum kit without having to take it off with wing nuts. And then I was probably about 22, 23 when I discovered the Frisbee that acted as a beautiful drum mute on a snare drum, and then it just clicked, like, I need it to look like this frisbee but i need it to be a symbol so there's cool sounds and that's how the crop circle was born um but the original prototype of the crop circle was the naughty saucer so after we saw that people really dug the crop circle um and other companies started making ideas just like it and we started seeing them on tv and all over social media Thought people might really dig this naughty saucer thing then, too, because it's even trashier and louder.
0: Right. Well, the crop circle, you know, I mean, it's when I'm in the studio, it's one of my secret weapons. You know, you you can lay it on your floor, Tom, you can put it on your snare drum, you can, you know, hang it over the bell of your ride cymbal. I mean, it's a really cool thing. And I think it's pretty awesome that, that that's something you brought to the table for, for Dream Symbols after thinking about it for so many years. I I did not know that story, so that's uh, hence my shock with that.
1: Um, yeah, well, I think that's the first time I've actually shared the whole, like, the guys over at Dream know the story, and, of course, my family and some of my close friends here, um, you know, because my friends here, like, everyone knows, just like you are saying, you like to joke with me online. Like, that's my whole life. I love to joke and be sarcastic and give each other a hard time and I mean, my friends do that with me they're always like what What are you up to now what's something you know they're always making fun of me um, and people know about my trash can you know my original symbol that created this whole thing um, and I think we're just in that time where you can only play so many licks and tricks you can only play in rudiments a certain way and sound like other people before you have to figure out kind of your own sound your own path you have to think outside of what you've been exposed to and start digging in within yourself. And these type of products, you know, there's other products out there, too, that are doing some really cool stuff that really can change. Um, even if you have, like, a, a entry-level drum kit and you want to sound professional, you know, you can throw some heads on, throw a crop circle, a naughty saucer, and some of the other um, drum kit additives out there, and your drums are going to sound great.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really, really cool stuff, Um, you know, and um, I I certainly, you know, obviously I'm a huge Dream Symbols fan, you know, um, I've been on their artist roster, I think three or four years now. So love those guys and they treat me like family and I'm not trying to make this an ad for Dream Symbols, but, um, you know, the, the crop circles, the naughty saucers, they're not we're not talking about stuff that's super duper expensive here. You know, I mean, if...
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's not like 500 bucks or 300 bucks. Exactly. 100 bucks, you got something you can throw in your kit.
0: I, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, there's a couple different sizes of the crop circles. And I think, you know, the, the larger of the two, like the list price is, I, I don't know, 85, 90 bucks or something. You know, it's not, it's not crazy and it's a really cool effect. So if we got any... Uh, any guys or gals listening that want to try it out, there you go. You know, it's it's well within most drummers' reach financially, for sure. Um, Scott, I really appreciate your time, um, and, and I don't want to take up too much more of it. Um, but, you know, one of the traditions here at the Drum Shuffle is we ask everybody, um, and before I get to this, I know that you are currently giving lessons and and taking on students up there in Michigan. Tell us where we can find more information on you and get in touch with you should anybody out there want to come take some lessons from you.
1: I'll say this. I am slowly moving my entire life and catalog to the online world, <laughs> and I will be having a subscriber-based websites and a place where you can accent, uh, uh, access masterclass workshop stuff. But I've been going through the archives and going through filming and getting ready to find time to do these lessons. So my website right now is always out of date. It probably says I'm in the Czech Republic right now or the UK. Um, So the best way, you can go to my website, scottpelgrim.com, make fun of it, or write something and give me a hard time. But Instagram is really the only thing I use now. I don't really use Facebook or Twitter. I have all those accounts, and they're there. Um, but I just really enjoy Instagram. I think it's, it's still a very cool platform. You're seeing a lot of people sharing unique ideas. You see people from all over the world, just like this year's Nam. They're hanging out with the cats from, from drum gab to drummers resource and all these different podcasts and these different drummers that are getting attention through Instagram. Uh, I just think it's a really cool place. So if you want to find me, just go to Scott Pellegrim Instagram. You'll find me there. And give me a hard time.
0: Okay, well, you you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Give Scott a hard time. He enjoys that, okay? Yep. Um,
1: it motivates me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, final question. We do this with every guest that we have on the Drum Shuffle, Scott. Give us your one best piece of advice for drummers, musicians, and it can touch on anything you want. It can be from, you know, practice routines to how to get further in the business. We just want you to give us your, your one best piece of advice.
1: That's hard for me to do, <laughs> but I'll say, I mean, if I narrow it down, I'll give a couple pieces of advice without going out of tangent. One, never give up on your dreams and look at your dreams more so as plans. And when you take those plans and put them in the action, you can make them a reality. And that is important and just because you are in love with something that you do and you're passionate about it doesn't mean it's going to be easy it will probably be quite the opposite it will probably be very difficult for you to prove your love and worth to that craft but if you pursue it you'll never regret it and above all cherish every moment that you have and be the best human being that you can because you never know what people are going through you only know what you've been through and it's really important to reach out and connect anytime that you feel like being spiteful or saying something negative, make sure that you turn that around and make it positive because there's no harm in, in being positive and people are going to want to be around you if you're positive. And therefore you're going to end up working (laughs) if you have a hard work ethic and you love what you do and you're fun to be around in any career, in anything in life. Those are good qualities to have.
0: Very, very good advice from Scott Pellegrim. Scott, thank you so much for your time and coming on the Drum Shuffle. We really appreciate it. Um, I would love to have you back anytime. Um, I'll make you a deal. When you get your subscriber-based website launched, up and going, I will absolutely have you back on this program, and we will do 45, 50 minutes of review of the new and updated ScottPellegram.com. Does that sound like a deal? All
1: right, <laughs> that's cool. I'm down with that. It'll give me some motivation. It's gonna be a little wacky and goofy, um, but I think I think people will dig it.
0: I would not expect anything less from you, Scott. Just simply because you are the out of the box guy, um, and honestly, we we barely scratched the surface. I didn't even get to talk about your stupid, crazy, two hundred and eighty BPM single stroke rolls that you can do. So we'll we'll save that for next time.
1: All right, sounds good. You can <laughs> holler at me, whatever.
0: Awesome, Scott. Again, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay.
1: All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye.
0: I want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, Hope you really enjoyed this episode. I sure did. It is always a pleasure to talk to my buddy, Scott Pellegrum. Uh, just a fantastic drummer. Again, scottpellegram.com. Uh, He promises he's going to keep that uh, or get that updated with all kinds of stuff. And kids, I'm telling you right now, I don't care what your level of playing is. If Scott is offering lessons, take one. He will help you play better. I promise you that as always our web address is the our email address is the podcast at gmail.com and you can find more on me at jamieeds.com keep those emails coming we love hearing from you the one favor i always ask for hit the subscribe button to whatever platform you're using to listen in today also, leave us a rating and review. It helps us tremendously to continue to grow, and we really do appreciate it. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers.